the purpose of this podcast, or at least one of the purposes of this podcast, is to show you the variety of different kind of potential career paths that are out there. Not everyone goes to college or university straight after school. Not everyone studies full-time. Not everyone finishes the first degree they studied. There are so many different possible paths you can take to achieve your objective. Ava Toomey's story is... I think a inspiration for anyone who wanted to go to college but for whatever reason didn't straight after school because when she finally got to study her degree as you're about to hear she absolutely nailed it she did so well so much so that not only did she get her degrees but she ended up working in academia within a very very short time period of actually starting the whole thing the other reason I really like this story is I think there's a little bit of a message, one we didn't actually touch on in the interview. Sometimes your career path can just lead to a natural end. You can follow something and work in it for years and then end up moving into something completely different because it just came to its sort of natural conclusion. And I don't think that's something we talk enough about in careers education. Anyway, this week's episode is with Aoife Toomey. Welcome to Graduate Compass, the podcast for graduates who haven't quite figured out what their next step is going to be. Ava, let's start backwards with this. What is your job now? What are you doing today? So I am an HR administrator in the dairy industry in Ireland. And your degree has nothing to do with HR. You didn't originally start down that path. So how did you originally start off in your career? Yes, that's true. Um, my degree, both of my degrees were in philosophy. Um, I actually did a bachelor's in a joint bachelor's in philosophy and classics. And then I proceeded to do a master's in philosophy by itself. So, uh, yeah, you could say that they're not too uh, related, but there's a little bit of crossover skills wise. Yeah. So before we get into the kind of skills crossover, what was your initial drive to go to college or university to study philosophy? Well, I didn't go to, uh, to university straight after school. Um, I actually went into work for seven years and I went back to university as a mature student. And at the time, I didn't really have any plans career-wise or anything. I really just wanted to learn about what I was really interested in. So initially, I knew that I wanted to do classics and philosophy was actually my final choice of four subjects that we were um, given in first year. I eventually then um, chose philosophy as my uh, joint honours and it was really just born of a love for the subjects more than, you know, wondering what my future career in them would be. Um, <laughs> You could say that a lot of classics and philosophy majors don't really have a solid career in mind when they start their degree anyway. Um, and I, I certainly didn't. I just did for the love of the, the topics. But what's interesting is you did actually pursue philosophy as a career path initially. You didn't just kind of walk away from it straight away. You actually formed a career out of philosophy as a kind of a first pass? Yes. Um, while I was still in college, um, I was approached by the department that I was studying with to become 
um, a tutor initially. Um, uh, I was received a scholarship for my master's and part of that agreement was that I would do some work for my department. So they approached me and asked me to do some tutoring work for them, which then eventually sort of uh, evolved into teaching assistant work, uh, guest lecturing and um, eventually research assistant work. And I really fell into that quite happily because um, I really I, I do really like academia and I love research and teaching especially. Um, so for about two and a half years, I worked as a teaching assistant and research assistant for my department. So Ava, when you first kind of got into that role, you know, you get this scholarship, you get this opportunity to do some tutoring. Was that when you started thinking, do you know what, I actually could see myself having a career in this area? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, as soon as I started tutoring, I realized that one of my favorite things to do is teach um I just found myself waking up in the morning looking forward to doing it and that's something I hadn't really experienced before having done at this point about 10 or 11 years in retail so I wasn't used to looking forward to getting up and working um but that became something I realized I was really really passionate about and I did actually start thinking about maybe having a future doing something like that uh teaching people um, and I really did like research as well. Um, but yeah, that's when I first started thinking, oh gosh, maybe I have to start doing something full-time. <laughs> um, and it would have been the dream to be able to do something like that full-time. And do you mind me asking what happened? Well, such is the nature of academic work. Um, I didn't do a PhD and where I was teaching, um, to have a full-time lecturing job a PhD was pretty much a prerequisite um, and a few publications too and I was very very early career academia so um, it would have taken me a very long time to get a full-time job in that field um, and a lot of money so I decided that doing a PhD wasn't really on the cards for me at the time um, it would have taken another four to five to even six years it would have taken a lot more money living on you know quite low wages because unfortunately PhD students aren't paid very much um and I just decided for me at the time I was kind of party and I said to myself no I I can't really go on working part-time um doing fixed-term contracts because I was on nine-month or six-month contracts at the time which caused a bit of anxiety because every time my contract would be coming up to its expiration date I'd have to reapply for my job back or hope that there is a bit more research to be done in that field so that I could continue working in what I really liked to do and eventually that does uh, wear away at you and I did eventually decide that um, I would pursue something full-time. So how long were you actually tutoring for? Um, for two academic years um, the first academic year was uh, tutoring first years and the second one was guest lecturing to final years. So when all this happened and you kind of knew that you weren't going to be coming back again after your contract ended, what kind of ideas and thoughts started going through your head as you tried to kind of figure out your next step? Well, that was a period of huge change in my life. I was actually in the process of finishing my master's and at the same time myself and my partner were changing location. We were moving city. so. There was a lot of change happening and I knew with a change of location, tutoring or, or teaching wouldn't be on the cards anymore. 
Um, so I had to make a lot of decisions at once, really. I kept on my research assistant job for another six months, but unfortunately I didn't have the opportunity to keep teaching. Uh, so when that contract ended, um, I continued my relocation with my partner and um, started to pursue new jobs. Okay, so you're in this situation. It's incredibly, I suppose, stressful by the sounds of it. Everything's changing. You're trying to figure out your next step. What did you do next? How did you start kind of making those steps forward? Did you know that HR was the area you wanted to work in or were you still trying to kind of figure that bit all out? Definitely did not know I was going to get into HR at the time. Um, At first, I didn't even um, have a job when I first moved city. Um, And then thankfully, a friend of mine from college who had also made the big move contacted me and she is in HR as well. But at that time, all that was available was a part-time receptionist position. And I was like, you know what? That sounds nice. I'm pretty much overqualified for the position at this time. So I may as well go for it, dip my toe in the the corporate pool and uh, see how I like it. At that time, I didn't really want to take on something full-time straight away as I had just come into a new city, new way of life. Um, So I thought, I'll give this a go. What was it like moving from academia to that corporate world? I would have, I would have thought it was, you know, quite different. What were your first impressions as you kind of made that transition? Well, you're definitely right there. They're very, very different to each other. I, I did, and I still do sometimes miss the academic life. I felt as though you could kind of um, create your own schedule a bit more in academia. Something that I like a bit of flexibility. The corporate life, the office life is a lot more sort of regimented. You're in the same place eight to 10 hours a day. And I found that hard to get used to. I also found it a little bit difficult to get into the whole um, business English way of speaking, you could call it. In academia, if you have a very straightforward and casual way of talking to people, that's almost encouraged. But in corporate life, it's not discouraged, but... um, it's definitely preferred that you have a more professional demeanor, I suppose. Uh, so I found that a little bit difficult to transition to, but you do get used to it after a while. Was there anything you did to kind of take steps to adjust to that different way of working? That's a good question. Um, I think I sort of adapted to it organically. Um, just by being around other people who were used to the office life, um, chatting to friends who'd also just sort of broken into the the corporate lifestyle as well we were all kind of saying to each other this is mad isn't it look at us (laughs) but yeah like it's a small period of adjustment and it does really depend on the person and how well you adjust to change and how adaptable you are but um, after a few months I did feel as though yeah maybe I do belong in this environment and um, then eventually the the job in HR became available I applied for that And I think when I got that job, I realized, okay, maybe there is a place for me here. And um, I think I feel a lot more comfortable in my role now. That's really good to hear. Do you know, I'm I'm curious because it does sound like, you know, your your job that you're in now, that you kind of went for it initially out of maybe necessity rather than anything else. Having said that, I know you've said to me, prior to this interview that you absolutely love your job so I'm just wondering where that kind of love came from and how you kind of realized that 
this was, you know, a valid career path that you really wanted to follow? I did definitely stumble into HR by accident, I suppose. Um, But when I had just started my role as a receptionist, I did realize that I'm very much a people person. Um, And I found that HR would be one of the departments that I would definitely lean more towards um, just because of its um, concentration maybe or its focus on the people within the business as opposed to stuff that is way beyond my realm of experience (laughs) and expertise. So although I did sort of fall into a HR role, I feel like I didn't fall into it necessarily by accident, I suppose. It was more of a I found something that I was naturally quite well suited for. Um, I think it's because part of me has always really enjoyed nurturing people, training people, helping in their development. And in academia, I was able to ex- exercise that in my teaching. But in HR, I'm able to, to do that in you know helping people develop their skills, um, helping people understand their job better and so on. So... There is some crossover in the in the in the way that as an arts graduate, as a humanities graduate, I've always been very focused on on social emotional intelligences. And in HR, I feel like that comes up day to day in my job. You've already touched on parts of HR, I suppose the fact that it's a role that helps people kind of develop and understand their roles better. But I'm wondering if you could explain what the day-to-day of working in a role like yours is like and what someone might expect if they were to to get into that kind of a role. Sure. Um, Now, I'm only a few months into my role, um, but as a HR administrator, basically, um, you take you take on a lot of different types of tasks for different departments. So I would work uh, between, let's say, recruitment and talent development. Um, Then there's also HR systems. So there's a little bit of IT work in there as well. Um, But I take on projects from different departments. I do a little bit of administrative work for them. And I also, um, I'm I'm also learning more about their departments too. So it's a very general role um, and, I would hope to maybe get more specific as time goes on. So usually in this kind of point in the podcast, I'm asking people for their kind of advice for students and graduates who are at that point where they're trying to figure things out and what they could do. I'm particularly interested what you have to say about kind of advice and guidance because you have that extra layer of experience having taught students and having that experience of working with them. So what kind of advice would you be giving uh, some students or graduates who might be listening to this? taking my own experience into account, but also having seen a lot of other uh, students and grads experience the same thing as me, what you set out to do isn't necessarily going to be what you end up doing. It certainly wasn't for me and it wasn't for a lot of my students either. Um, I taught people from their very first day of first year all the way up to their graduation day. Um, And I was very lucky to follow their their progress through university and to see how they what kind of people they were when they came out on the other side and the person you are when you start university you know 17 16 to 18 years old you're gonna you're gonna be a very different person coming out and your goals your aspirations and your hopes are going to be quite different too um 
I can definitely say that I came out of university with a totally different sort of expectation of myself and other people. And I've noticed that in my students too. Um, so don't worry if things aren't how they imagined, how, that, how, that, how you imagined they would be when you started on your first day of university. Because I can tell you, nobody, uh, nobody really follows a set path that they set for themselves. Um, you're, you're, it's, something's always going to change. And uh, usually changes for the better because university is such a great learning experience. So even if you're unsure, even coming out on the very last day and you're still unsure, um, everything's always evolving and always changing. And um, just look out for what you're really good at and what you really love doing. Because you've probably heard this before, but if you really, really love doing something, it's not really a job, is it? I love that. That's brilliant. So earlier on, you, you touched on the fact that there are some transferable skills and you did mention kind of two of them. And I'm just wondering if there was any other kind of specific transferable skills that you can think of that would be worth highlighting at this stage. Well, funny you should ask, because the work I did as a research assistant was actually on transferable skills between university and the workplace. <laughs> so. Yeah, you're actually talking to someone who, who knows quite a bit about this kind of thing. So especially for humanities grads, and I know that's not the only type of grad out there, but it's it's the type of grad I am. And there are a lot of us out here. Um, there There is a lot you learn in your degree that isn't going to be directly transferable to the job, no matter what you come out doing. Um, but what we found in our research was that people who are good communicators, who are empathetic, um, who work well as teams and as leaders and as followers like just people who are socially and emotionally in tune to other people that nearly always helps in any career you're going you're going to go into whether you did um let's say a degree in computer science and you want to go into I don't know tech I don't know what I'm talking about but if you want to go into to big tech let's say being a good communicator and being a good uh, team player, that's going to help you pretty much about 60 to 70% of the way into your new job. So the, the things that you learn in your degree, whether it's how to, to be an accountant or how to speak German, um, you're also picking up special skills along the way that you may not notice. So if it's just about communicating. It's about being a good, empathetic person. It's about recognizing diversity in the workplace. And they're always going to be the, the skills that help you in your job and your career for the rest of your life. I totally agree with you. And when it comes to kind of communication, people talk about it being, you know, a soft skill and sometimes branded around without any kind of clear definition of what people are, people are referring to. So I'm just wondering if you had any kind of more specific examples of what you're talking about when you're talking about communication. Sure. Yeah. So there were a few different things that fell into the category of communication. So there would be um, active listening is a really good one. It's uh, being able to understand what's really being said to you, the context in which it's being said to you, and being able to use that information to, to move forward in your goals. A lot of people can just hear what's being said to them, but actively listening and being able to disseminate that information and use it contextually moving forward, that's real active listening. 
Um, and empathy is a huge part of communication too. So being an empathetic communicator is different from just being able to, to list off a standard operating procedure, you know, um, having a, a good understanding of diversity in the workplace, of other people's emotional and intellectual needs. Um, it's not just being able to, to speak and be spoken to. It's about how you do those things. And I would imagine, and I need to kind of as well stop and, and say that I know nothing about you know the the details of your research, but I would have thought perhaps that your research would have maybe indicated that other aspects of people's lives, like the part-time work they do or the volunteering or the little projects they had on the side, would also kind of be contributing factors. Yeah, um, that was a little bit outside the scope of our research, uh, a phrase that I've used quite a few times <laughs> to get out of things, but um, uh, definitely note that one down. If it's outside the scope of your research, you're off the hook. But no, no, I would definitely agree that having, let's say, a part-time job, being you know involved in societies or clubs, that kind of thing, just, just being around other people, <laughs> you know, it's definitely going to help you along definitely while you're doing your university career but going going out into the to the big world as well you know apologies because I sort of feel like I've blindsided you a bit there I didn't realize my question would be outside the scope of, of, of your research so to maybe rephrase the same question you know looking back on your own personal experience you know, with the seven years of working in retail did you feel that that experience was a benefit for you first in your career in academia and now in your career in HR? Definitely. Um, yes. As someone who worked in customer facing roles for a long time, um, I definitely developed people skills. Um, so I've always crowed and ranted on about how I think everybody should do a year in retail before they do anything else in their whole lives. Because one, you learn a good bit of resilience and patience, but you also understand how people tick, um, how to work well as a part of a team and how to, you know, maybe develop a little bit of conflict resolution as well. So um, that's definitely helped in my university career, um, my lecturing career, and, and definitely in HR as well. Um, I definitely can... I can thank retail uh, for giving me really good people skills. So before we get to the end of today's episode, I just want to go back to something you mentioned at the start when you were talking about moving to the new city and I was asking you how you found your job. I was kind of half expecting you to maybe talk about kind of recruitment fairs or going on websites, things like that. But you actually mentioned the fact that it was your friend who kind of gave you the lead for your job without using the word. What we're really talking about there is your network. And that kind of leads me to two questions. The first one being, was the use of your network conscious decision? And second of all, what did you do to kind of utilize that network to help you find a job? Well, that's a little bit of a double-edged sword because um, I was very lucky to know somebody in HR who could get me a job. And I'll, that'll, I'll be the first person to admit that. Um, I've gone through the grueling job-seeking processes before, going on websites, handing your CV into everybody who would even look at you. Um, 
so I've been on both sides of it, but um, more recently in, in, in the last few years of working, um, it's, it's been who I knew and how our relationship was um, that made it more likely for me to be considered for a job. So it, that started in university because I developed good relationships with um, the members of my department. Um, in turn, they would recommend me for roles. And of course, then I had my university friend who recommended me for the receptionist and then the HR role later on. Um, so it was very network based. And I do believe that if you can, it's very important to develop that network. Um, I know everybody in HR is going to roll their eyes if they hear this, but LinkedIn is really, really helpful. Um, we do a lot of recruitment through LinkedIn, so it is important to put yourself out there. Make make a, a profile on LinkedIn, even if you only have a few connections. You may as well put yourself out there. Uh, you can apply for jobs on it, too. So um, that's something I would definitely recommend to anybody who's who's out there in the job market. Aoife, you've been amazing. There's been some great advice to end today's episode I want to give you the last word is there anything you'd like to say to help the people who are listening to this podcast who are perhaps in a situation where they're trying to figure things out yeah um I'm thinking back to how I felt during and after my degree as well like I came out with two very very fancy looking pieces of paper fluency in Latin and a really good um understanding of meta ethics and moral psychology and I thought what have I done? Um, what did I just put five years into? And sometimes that thought really got me down. Um, I thought I might never get to live the dream of, you know, doing my degree and then getting into a job like they do in the movies. But life doesn't really work like that. And if you're if you're just making taking your first first steps out into the the world and you're scared and you're unsure just take a breath um loads of us are out here just like you and um it's gonna be okay So there are three parts of Ava's story I'd like to kind of highlight as this episode finishes. The first one is I think Ava deserves great credit for being very realistic about her circumstances. When the career in academia sort of came to an end, she didn't hold on to it. She adapted very quickly and just accepted the situation she was in and moved on. This might sound like a kind of so what point, but trust me, as someone who works in this particular field, a lot of graduates don't do that. Sometimes things come to a natural end and people want to hold on to it. They want to try and reignite their career. Hell, I've done that myself. I'm not going to lie. The second thing I really like about uh, this interview is when Ava talks about getting the job as a receptionist and she acknowledges that she's way overqualified for it, she laughs. It wasn't a serious thing. She wasn't saying, oh, I was overqualified and this was a bad thing. It was the opposite. She was grabbing the opportunity with both hands and going for it and then was rewarded for such a positive attitude by getting her job in HR at a later point. Third point, and Aphid does briefly touch on this, but we didn't go into a huge amount of detail in the interview about this particular area, was that there's an obvious connection between the skills Aphid picked up working in academia and then working in HR. But they're skills that 
I think maybe you wouldn't realise until you were doing those jobs. She says herself that, you know, she wasn't looking for a job in HR. It kind of found her as much as she found it. So we end today's episode in a similar-ish place to where we started, and that is talking about the importance of career education. I'm wondering, is there a job out there that you've dismissed out of hand? One that you thought, oh, no, I could never work on that. When actually, the skills needed and the experience needed is exactly what you could bring to the table but you just don't realise it. I obviously can't answer that question for you, but I definitely think it's something to think about. I'm Keanu Sullivan. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Graduate Compass. Remember, if there is a degree subject or specific industry you would like to be featured on any future episodes, then we would love to hear from you and know what you are trying to find out. Our email is info at graduatecompass.ie. 